Welcome to Promises Are Just Words. This is episode 26, Balance Means Work and Play. Hi everyone, it has been a tough term for everyone at school, but in the end you've all seemed to have coped really well and obviously now here we are at the end of this term. Online learning was very difficult for a lot of you, including your teachers, but I bet you're all looking forward to that little bit of a break and a break away from um, working at school. Again, like I said, school holidays, there are a time to relax and recharge, but not forget everything that you have learned. I'm sure that some of your teachers have left you with some work to complete, and it will give you a bit of a head start, a bit of a boost going into term three. However, even if they have not left you any work, there are lots of things that you can do. So you could read a text that you're about to study, or even just look at Google summaries. You could rewrite your notes from your book or stick in all those loose worksheets if you've still got them in the bottom of your bag. You could email your teachers and ask questions to clarify your learning. Or you could also, for people doing the Year 11 and Year 12, they could access past papers and information from uh, NESA online and attempt time responses at home. So even though I am suggesting more work for a lot of you, it's important to remember that you do have that balance though with work and with play. Uh, After all, a little bit of work in the end doesn't hurt anyone. learning today has got two parts to it and the first part of this is a bit of a holiday challenge to you guys so we're going to give you 10 things that you guys can look at in terms of how you can improve on your learning just by helping out and being aware of what's around you so number one read a book from cover to cover make sure you do choose something that you will enjoy reading and I guarantee even though there are no guarantees you won't be able to put it down so make sure you do pick something that you know you are going to enjoy Number two, go for a walk in nature. Like I said, I'm not talking about any old walk at all. I mean one that gets you away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And Central Coast, as I said, they've got some really great hidden trails that are just waiting to be discovered. Number three, listen to a piece of classical music all the way through. Choose something for your current mood or the mood you want to be in. Number four, learn a new skill. It could be a language, it could be learning to juggle, It could be something as simple as learning to follow a recipe. Number five, visit another country. And when I say this, obviously you can do this virtually. Google Maps has a great feature called Street View, and it gives you the ability to have a stroll down most streets in the world. Number six, have a face-to-face conversation with your neighbors. Reconnect with them, as it might have been a while since you have had a chance. Number seven, donate unwanted goods to a charity shop. You've probably got lots of unused toys or things around the house, clothes that could be rehoused. Number eight, go to your local library, not just for reading. They offer school holiday programs, computer and internet access, meeting facilities, and lots of knowledgeable staff to assist you. Number nine, jump in the ocean. I know it's winter and this sounds crazy, but there are some benefits for going into cold water. Improved circulation, release of endorphins, and more calories burnt than swimming in warmer weather. 
Number 10, finally, pay it forward. Do a good deed for somebody else without any need for the person to pay it back. Spread the good karma all around. The second part of Always Learning this week is where I get the chance to interview a Year 5 student to find out what life in primary school is like. So here it is. Hello everybody and welcome to Promises Are Just Words. Hi Year 5 student. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pilot because I've been on lots of planes and I enjoy flying. Can you tell me the best thing about school? Learning new things. So, what do you like learning about? I like history, as we found out lots of, about Captain Cook this term. What do you do at recess and lunch? I hang out with my mates and play handball. What is your teacher like? He's funny, knows lots of things, and, and can play the guitar. So finally, why is school important? Because you learn lots of things and it prepares you for a job that you want to do as an adult. Thank you, Year 5 student. It's great to find out about school from a primary student's perspective. to say hello to two people. The first one is Matt Burke and the second one is Tommy Safares. Matt is an ex-Wallaby rugby union player and he's currently the sports presenter on Sydney's Channel 10 News. He's the most capped fullback and the second highest scorer for Australia in test rugby history. Tommy is an American swimmer turned professional triathlete and now an ITU photographer and social media constructor. His action shots of triathlon races are amazing and you can check out his website if you want to look at more at Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y-Z photos.com Tommy Z photos.com So today we say hello to Matt Burke and Tommy Zafaras. Question one. What was my schooling like at Joey's and did it disrupt my Australian schoolboys season. Now, firstly, thanks for the chance to have a chat with you. Uh, no, it didn't. Um, talking about Australian schoolboys, that is. You got to remember back in the day, I'm that old, uh, that we're under three terms. Uh, that used to go from sort of cricket to athletics in a rugby back in a cricket again, and so rugby was played the middle of the uh, middle of the year after athletics. And it was always a goal of mine to you know, play first 15 at school. Uh, and I was able to achieve that in year 11. And I also got the chance to do it again in year 12. And I made the New South Wales Schoolboys and then went on to represent Australia on the, on the, on the Schoolboys Tour. But our tour was at the end of the year. So by the time sort of cricket started to roll around again and we finished that season, our Australian Schoolboys tour was over December and January, which aligned with uh, there was the European winter. So we played England on Scotland, Wales, 
basically played a grand slam, similar to that of the, the, the great team of 1977 with Mark Geller and all those boys. Uh, we were able to do the same thing. We were undefeated, uh, which was an incredible thrill. And we played on these stadiums that were synonymous around the world for being the best grounds to play on. Lansdowne Road, Twickenham, Millennium Stadium, or with the old Cardiff Arms Park. I actually took a chunk of grass uh, out of each one of them and put them in a plastic bag and labelled them and brought them home. I thought that was pretty special. Uh, but all that uh, aside, my parents sent me to Joey's, which was a rugby school, if you call it that, to get an education. And that's the first and foremost. So I was a reasonable student. I got sort of C marks thereabouts. If I scammed a B, I'd be, you know, over the moon. That's, you know, what's that... 65% and maybe if I, if I jagged a 70 or a 70 plus, uh, I'd, be, uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. The interesting one about it was, you know, whenever we did the parent-teacher interviews, uh, and I'm sure perhaps like some in your class at the moment, if he only concentrated a little bit harder, he could do so well. But, yeah, look, schooling was there. Uh, I, got th- I got through, but certainly anything to do with a bat and a ball or running, uh, came very easy to me. So that was sort of my schooling. Did I know I was going to play professional rugby? Not a chance. Uh, you know, when I finished school, I, I went and studied at ACU and I did sports science, uh, which helped me incredibly for what I was looking to do in the future, being uh, rugby as, a, as a, what was a pastime a hobby, you could call it that, to then being a professional game. So my three-year degree took eight years because we went on end-of-season tours. And because the degree, the, the, the subject I was doing was so small, uh, at the end of each year, I had to then defer and go again. The, the great story, when I first got selected in 1993 to play for the Wallabies, I went and spoke to the academic advisor, who was a German lady, and I said to the, I said to her, "Listen, I've, I've been selected for the Wallabies, uh, and we go on tour. We're going to North America, Canada, and then also through to France, which was an epic tour, eight weeks, unbelievable. Like talk about an initiation." And she said to me, "The Wallabies, who are the Wallabies?" And I thought that is fantastic. She said, "You need to think about it." because this is your future. And I took about 20 seconds and I said, where do I sign, please? Where do I defer? So that was my start of my international career. But schooling was fantastic. You know, you realise at the time, schooling is incredibly tough. There's so much pressure on you guys. But uh, in the big scheme of things, uh, it's a small drop. But when you're there, that small drop is the most important thing uh, that you can concentrate on. So to the year 11 students and going into year 12, if you listen to this, uh, pace yourself. You can control what you can control. And in this time at the moment where it is sideways, uh, what you need to be able to do is all that's asked of you at the same time, if you can do a little bit more, fantastic. But you control what is controllable to you. That's what I tell my daughter at the moment. She's in year 12. And everything else, you've just got to run with it. That's when you've got to adapt. And that was you know, what I did for you know, 15, nearly 18 years of, of playing rugby, just adapt. So uh, good luck with it.
Question two, who was my toughest opponent and who was the toughest team? It's a really good question because we came up against some incredible players and incredible teams. And when you look back when I first played and, you know, hey, you guys have got to go back to YouTube for this one here because uh, it is a long time ago. So I first got selection uh, in the Wallabies in 1993 and I played through to 2004. Then I went overseas for another three or four years and played in the UK. But uh, it's always about pitting yourself against the best. And, and I think for us, the best at the time were New Zealand. Um, throw a little spanner in the works there, and South Africa weren't there. So if you go back in your history and you, and you look at apartheid, uh, South Africa were uh, in exile um, for the first, I suppose, three years that I was playing uh, because of apartheid. They then came back into rugby uh, in about 1992, uh, and then by 1995, they ended up winning the Rugby World Cup in South Africa in their hometown. If you get back and look at the history of that, that's when Nelson Mandela was the president, uh, and he basically went to South Africa training. He uh, orchestrated the jumbo jet with Go Bocker written underneath it to fly over Ellis Park in their stadium, which was played against New Zealand. Just incredible scenes and, you know, a man uniting uh, South Africa. And uh, so South Africa were a, an incredible force, but I think I'd have to say New Zealand just because of they played to the very end and they trusted their skills. And that's probably one of the the big thing that I talk about, doesn't matter what you do, whether it's through schoolwork or, or sport, you've got to trust yourself in knowing what you're, what you're good at and what you're capable of. And these guys, when they looked left and looked right, they always knew that they could count on the person beside them. Now, obviously, being at school, it's an individual scenario, but when you break it down, if, if you've done the work, you'll get a good result. Uh, pretty simple, and, and if you haven't done the result, if you haven't done the result of your work, I should say, your results may struggle. So, if you understand that, that's the the building block of of, of getting anywhere. But you know, New Zealand were absolutely brilliant uh, across the board uh, in individuals, and then also as a team, uh, to the point where you know, most teams, a lot of teams, fell at the last hurdle, being in the last couple of minutes where they would go from deep in their own half and score a try or kick a goal and just create something, which, to the frustration of, of many teams, and me included, uh, happened to us. Individual, uh, I want you to check this guy out. A fellow called Jonah Lomu. Sadly, has passed away now, passed away uh, in 2015, but was just an absolute revelation to the sport. Now, he goes by the one word name. You say Jonah, you know who you're talking about. It. You say Lomu, you know who you're talking about. To if you asked anyone around the world, now he was a six foot four winger who ran like the wind and was about 120 kilos. So all of a sudden, uh, me standing at the back there playing fullback, I had to tackle this bloke. Now, I remember sitting in a change room one time with a with a teammate of mine, and he and he looked at the the program and he and he saw who he was up against, and he used to wear number 14, which meant he was the right wing, and Jonah wore an 11, who was the left wing, and he said, man, I've got Jonah today, and I said, how do we, how do we defend? He said, fullback takes last man, and I said, so who tackles Jonah? And this big smile came across his, across his face, and he said, you do, as he started laughing, and, and that was what it was like, it was this intimidation factor when this guy ran at you. 
Uh, and if you go back through history, and I, I implore you to get on YouTube and just look up Jonah and just watch him. He's got that many clips that have been cut up about him, his power, his speed, his physicality, his intimidation was just incredible. Now, this was a guy that, uh, when we played, uh, just terrorised teams, had the ability to run over, through, past, around, whatever you want, uh, and, and me included. Um, I got the chance to play with him uh, in a select 15 over in England. It was his comeback game. And I knew he was big, but then I stood beside him. I thought, you know, wow, this is incredible to watch. And when I passed the ball to him to score a try, I then realised what I looked like when blokes were trying to tackle him on the way through. So probably New Zealand and then Jonah Lomu as the most influential in my career when I played against these guys and teams. Quite incredible. So I originally got involved in the sport of triathlon um, after 16 years of competitive swimming. Uh, I retired from swimming in 2008 after swimming at the Olympic trials. And at this point in California, gas was really expensive. So I actually bought a bike to use as transportation. Um, at the time, I was working at a grocery store and coaching swimming. And so I bought a bike just to, to get around town instead of driving. And um, somebody, I had ran into a friend and they were asking if I was doing the triathlon this weekend. And I'd never even heard of triathlon and turned out I knew the race director so they gave me a free entry and um, so one week into owning a bike and ha hadn't swum for about a year um, and I didn't even own a pair of running shoes my mom bought me a pair of running shoes uh, two days before the race um, I went and did my first one and then after that uh, pretty much got hooked and where I'm from Santa Cruz is where 2004 Olympian Victor Plata is from and he saw an article about me in the newspaper and so he contacted me about coaching me and told me about ITU and eventually <laughs> had a meeting with him told him no at first that I didn't want to be coached by him but then came back to him later and um, yeah in 2010 I actually went full-time into professional triathlon. When I realized it was time to move on from uh, professional triathlon um, after an accident I had in 2014 where uh, I had a heat stroke and a couple seizures and was airlifted to the hospital and put in a coma for 19 hours, um, I lost a lot of, well, all of my memory and then it eventually came back um, after about a week. So that was um, really exciting. But um, from then on, it was kind of... Uh, changing the mindset into a different path because tra uh, racing triathlon uh, was going to be sort of difficult <laughs> um, after that accident. Um, racing triathlon at the highest level. Um, I still train with my wife full-time and compete um, for for fun, but um, yeah, trying to make the Olympics was kind of a big ask after having an accident like that, that sort of uh, changed my life. So um, yeah, switching the mindset was, was pretty easy, actually, um, just to shift focus on something else that would make me happy and that would work for um, the life that I was currently involved in, which was um, training with my wife full time and um, going to the races and supporting her and um, yeah, trying to make a living to be able to support us traveling the world and, and going to the races. So um, yeah, it just became a new challenge and uh, actually kind of fun. And <laughs> I'm having even more fun now um, doing what I'm doing than when I was actually racing. So um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty easy transition.
So my top three tips for getting the perfect shot uh, in photography would be um, do your best to be different. Um, Creativity should be at your core where you don't want to just take a picture that anybody with a camera could take. Um, You got to find something that you don't think anybody else could capture. And if you can do that, then you're going to stand out and you're going to be successful. So always have the, the mindset of capturing something different that has been done before. Uh, the second thing is be meticulous. Um, when you, you're out taking pictures, get rid of the ones that are not absolutely perfect. Uh, it's really annoying and a lot of times it's hard to tell, but um, that comes with practice and um, just going through images really quickly and knowing what you're looking for. Um, just make sure that every single image is fully sharp. There's not distractions in the background. Um, The facial expression is good. The body position is good of the athlete or whatever. So anything that you can think of in your photo that makes it perfect, basically, um, that's what you're looking for. And if let's say you have 500 photos, um, you only want to keep like 50 of those. So you need to cut out a lot of images and like because you took them, it's really challenging because they're all your babies, you know, like you took them and you like them, but um, you can't keep all of them because it's just uh, overwhelming. And uh, the best thing, the best advice that I can give you is to whittle them down to your very best and only show your very best work. Um, don't show all the, the random just okay images because uh, those ones, like, it, it sucks to say, but those ones don't matter. Um, and you want to be presenting your, your best work. So um, be super hard on yourself. Like I said, number two, be meticulous. Um, cut down all your work to your very, very best selections. Uh, the third thing is to be prepared. Um, that is with everything. So your camera settings, uh, the location that you're standing in, uh, what the light looks like, the idea that you have for the photo, um, lining up the shot with, uh, depending on what's in the background. Um, There's all kinds of different aspects to to getting the the shot. But then also the biggest thing is anticipating the moment. So you have to be ready, not just with your camera, but with your mindset and plan ahead and try to guess what's going to happen before it happens so that you can actually press the shutter at the correct time and capture the moment that you've been imagining.